I'm still missing you guys so much. It's hard not to be there, but I am joined the snow-capped mountains of Canada this weekend. Keep falling for that. Today, uh, as every uh, Sunday this month, you're blessed. Chris Jones is with us. Chris is the lead minister of the Westgate Church of Christ in Dothan, Alabama. Many of you know Chris from when he was the head football coach at Prattville Christian Academy. He preached to the church in the country and was here at Landmark almost every Wednesday night. I just, um, I just came to love Chris and have maintained a great relationship with him. And he's been so powerful at the Westgate Church. He's deep in God's Word, deep in people's lives. He's going to be a real blessing to you today. So I challenge you to listen. Thank you, Chris, so much for being here. So thankful that you and Landmark get to reconnect again. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Good morning, Landmark. It's great to be here this morning. I don't know if I need to say very much after that because everything I might say might be a letdown at this point after that introduction. But I'm so thankful for Buddy. Uh, Buddy means a lot to me, and I'm probably going to tell you some things you already know about Buddy. Buddy is different. Here's a guy that's a a lead minister of a vibrant, uh, really just a, a powerful church family. And he's a guy that truly cares about others. Buddy's called me over the last few months and and through COVID and checked on me and and prayed for me. And that means a lot to me that he truly, genuinely cares about people. I had a friend of mine, I told him I was coming to speak to you guys and he gave me some advice. And I guess he's trying to help you guys out, but he said, here's what I want you to do when you go speak at Landmark. You'd have a very good introduction, a solid closing, and get those as close together as possible. And he's trying to spare you guys from what they get every week at Westgate. But today I want to share with you a passage that's near and dear to my heart. As you look at scripture, you're probably not supposed to have favorite chapters. It's like having a favorite child. But I love Luke chapter 24. And I've come to love it more and more as I've researched this chapter. And and I pray this chapter will bless you today. And we have some goals. As we think about what this chapter is all about, we have two travelers who are going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about a a seven-mile trip. This is Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. A lot has transpired in a three-day period. Jesus has been crucified, and these guys are despondent. They they don't really know what to think about what's happened. And something amazing happens on the road to Emmaus. As they're talking about Jesus and ruminating about what's happened, Jesus joins them, and they have no idea who he is. So today, here's the goal for our time together. As we look at Luke 24, and we travel with these two travelers, I want us to have our eyes open to some new realities. And that's a lofty goal. But our eyes open to some new realities that are broken open here in sacred scripture. And there are three particular things I want you to see this morning. And the first is this, the core message of the cross. Our eyes need to be open to the core message of the cross. Now, we may say the cross is attractive. Some of you were led to Jesus because of the message of the cross. But for these two travelers on the road to Emmaus, the cross was a stumbling block. It was not something that led them to Jesus, but it actually led them to a state of despondency. So they're traveling along, and they're thinking, how in the world could this have happened? How could the Messiah, how could the guy that we thought was the Lord of all, be crucified? I mean, if you're going to build a resume as the Messiah, you would have things like this. Raise people from the dead. Check, that's a good one. Heal the sick. Check, that's another good one. 
gave sight to the blind. Well, well, there's another good one. But one thing you would not have on your resume would be rejected by the Jewish rulers and crucified by the pagan Romans. That's just not something you would have there. So as we try to, to think about the mentality of these two fellows traveling on the road to Emmaus, we need to get into their mindset to understand what they're thinking. It's kind of hard when you're uh, removed by 2,000 years, but what were they thinking? What were they going through? And I could imagine they're, they're just trying to process this information. This guy that they thought that was Messiah, this guy who had claimed to be the Lord, this guy they had seen give amazing teaching and do amazing things, they watched him be scourged by the Romans, beaten half to death. Someone that, that was forced to carry his own cross, and he couldn't even accomplish that. Someone else had to carry it for him. And then they would strip him naked, and he'd be shamed and crucified on a Roman cross. They may be thinking, how did this happen? How did we get here? Now, I want you to notice what day this story happens. This story happens on the first day of the week. So these two travelers are talking. What are they talking about? What are they thinking about? Well, they're muddled and confused at this moment. They don't know what to think. They don't know what to do. There's been news that's out there from people that have visited the tomb that the tomb was found empty and and there were two angelic messengers that said that Jesus had been raised. But they're thinking, well, you know, this is kind of idle talk. And in ancient people, they weren't hasty. They knew that dead people didn't come back from the grave. It just didn't happen. You don't have to be a modern person with a college degree to be skeptical about the resurrection. They knew these things didn't happen. So they're trying to process all this. I want to take you back to our passage to Luke 24. I want to look at verses 15 and 16 together. While they were walking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. I love this part. And he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. How ironic. They're talking about Jesus. And he, and he walks up beside them and they have no idea it's Jesus. Now, what's interesting here, this is not, this passage is not saying that they just don't recognize him, maybe because they're upset, and maybe they're despondent. Something supernatural is occurring in this passage. They're being prevented by God from seeing Jesus and recognizing him. So I want you to hold on to that thought as we walk through this lesson. They are prevented from seeing Jesus. They can't see the true reality. Now let's go back to our passage and pick back up in verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, there in these days? In other words, where have you been? Have you been hiding under a rock? And he said to them, what things? And they said to them, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a a good man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. In other words, we had hoped he was the Messiah. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen even a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So we get more information here in the reading. One of the travelers' names is Cleopas. Now there's one uh, famous Bible scholar by the name of N.T. Wright, pretty sharp fellow. N.T. Wright has a theory. He believes that this is a husband and wife 
walking together. And there, there's some evidence of this, that this might be uh, Cleopas and one of the Marys that the Gospels talks about. So that adds some intrigue to the stories. You have a husband and wife walking together. But Jesus asked them this question, what is wrong with you people? Why are you so glum? Why are you so upset? Why are you so sad? It's interesting as that question hangs over them. Now, at this point in the narrative, if we were to stop, if this passage ended in verse 24, this would be a really sad story with these followers not really knowing how to process this. There'd be no hope. But thanks be to God that the narrative continues. And that takes me to the second thing I want you to see, and it's this. Jesus is the center of Scripture. Now, it's interesting how Jesus responds to them. This is what I call the cranky Jesus. There's places in the Gospels where it seems like Jesus is just downright cranky with people. He's kind of lost patience. So he gives them this this really, uh, this this rebuke to them about their lack of faith. So I want to pick back up at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So a massive sleight of hand that Jesus is doing here. He is changing their entire paradigm and how they look at the idea of Messiah. You see, the cross had been a stumbling block to them, but Jesus says it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. This is part of the plan all along. And then what's interesting is he goes to Scripture, all of the Hebrew Bible, Moses and the prophets, and interprets them in light of the cross. Now, wouldn't you love to be there to hear that sermon? How would Jesus have taken the entire Old Testament narrative and made sense of what's happened there just a few days before? That's interesting. Now, I think we might be shocked how Jesus actually did that. But here's one lesson for us as the church I think there's a problem sometimes with how we read Scripture. You know, the Bible has become a battleground for many people where we've gone to it and we've used it for proof texts and, and to bludgeon people with Scripture. We have parsed the Bible up. We've divided the Bible up. We've argued about minutia of detail. And, and by the way, I love biblical scholarship. I'm glad that we have all these tools of learning. But sometimes I think we miss the core message of Scripture by doing this. And what we need to see that at the very center of Scripture is Jesus Christ, or what I would call the Christ event. If you want to make sense of the entire Bible, you must read it in light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just say this, and this is a good rule of thumb. If you're doing biblical interpretation, what some people call hermeneutics, a high-tech word. If your biblical interpretation is in conflict with the cross of Jesus Christ, it's probably wrong. It's probably wrong. Jesus is the very heart of Scripture. This is interesting. So as we read the Bible, we see it through the lens of the Christ event. Now, in the past, I've said things like this. I want to be a New Testament Christian. And I think when people say that, they're noble in their endeavor. But you know what I want to be? I want to be a whole Bible Christian. That's what I want to be. And see Jesus on every page of the Bible. The whole uh, sacred text is all about the gospel of Jesus, pointing toward him. But I want to ask you a a deep question this morning. Did Cleopas and his friend see Jesus in the flesh? Were they not followers of Jesus before? Were they not there when Jesus taught people and worked miracles? Were they there? Did they know about the cross of Jesus? 
Were they not right there with the risen Lord? I mean, they saw the resurrected Jesus. But here's the question for you. Was it enough? Did they truly know Jesus at this point? Did they know him? It's interesting to contemplate this morning. As we think about what Jesus does here by breaking Scripture open for them, what he does and makes sense of it, as we look at the Old Testament, we think of, okay, Jesus in the Old Testament, we're looking for all these prophecies and in lines that we can connect to the New Testament, but, but it's more complex than that. Imagine uh, pieces of glass, colored glass and tile, and they're, they're scattered all throughout the Old Testament. And then the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus pull all those together into a beautiful mosaic. That is what Jesus is doing here in this passage. It's all about him. Let's continue reading in our story. Let's pick up at verse 28. They drew near to the village to which they were going. I love this part. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread. Now listen to this part. This is interesting, this language. See if this sounds familiar to you. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That is fascinating. And he vanished from their sight as if the story could get any weirder. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, when I was a kid, I loved the show A-Team. You may remember the A-Team with Hannibal and B.A. Baracus and Face. I mean, they would blow stuff up and people were never hurt. But I loved Hannibal had this one quote. He loves it when a plan comes together. And here it all starts to make sense what's happening. When was the last time Jesus was at a table with his followers in Luke's gospel? You may guess right. The Last Supper, right? The Lord's Supper. And this language here is Lord's Supper language. He takes bread, he blesses, he breaks it, he gives it to him. These This is the exact same language we see in the narrative of the Lord's Supper. Let me ask another question. When did these two recognize Jesus? What does the text say? In the breaking of the bread. Now think about these two travelers. They go back to the other followers in Jerusalem. They can't wait to get back. They come to them and they're they're like breathless trying to share the story. We've seen the risen Jesus, but but they tell the story like this, that that as Jesus is, is teaching them from the Old Testament, their hearts are burning within them. And they make the point to say, we recognized him in the breaking of the bread. That's an important point to consider. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And this gets to the question of how does the text of the Bible work? Just think about that for just a minute. Luke writes this gospel about 30 years after the church has existed. So for about 30 years, God's people have been coming together on the first day of the week and worshiping. So for 30 years, this has been happening. And I want you to think for just a minute, let's, let's channel our, our inner first century Christian for a minute. How would they have read this? You're sitting somewhere, let's just say Ephesus. Luke's gospel comes to you. They don't have, you know, the the Tommy Nelson leather-bound Bible in front of them. It's going to be read to them on a parchment or a scroll of some kind. So you're sitting in the assembly, and you hear Luke 24. How would they have understood this passage? I want you to think with me for just a minute. 
We know a little bit about early Christian worship. We know what Sunday looked like. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it from early Christian writers like Justin Martyr. And there were two components to their worship. They had the ministry of the word and the ministry of the table. Now think about that for just a minute. What did we see on the road to Emmaus when Jesus came together with these two travelers? He takes scripture. He breaks the scripture open to them. He he teaches them from a Christ-centered perspective. Their hearts burn. Then they come to the table and they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. The early church would recognize this as talking about what happens on the first day of the week. What day of the week does it happen here in Luke 24? It's on a Sunday. So what happens for us is amazing. I want you just to see this with enchanted eyes for just a minute. Just bear with me. Let's strip away the layers of scientific materialism that that infects how we look at the sacred text. I want you to see it from a supernatural perspective, not a deistic perspective, but a perspective where God is involved with his people in a powerful way. I want to think about what happens on a Sunday morning with God's people. And, And this gets me excited. I mean, this gets me fired up when I think about it. We are indwelt by God's spirit. In our baptism, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. That same spirit inspired the sacred text. Breathe life into it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It breathes life into things and people. And we come together as God's people. And and Buddy preaches to you. The spirit works powerful. It's like this synergy. The spirit who indwells you works through the word. And something happens And Buddy makes Jesus alive to you see the cross, you see the risen Lord, and your heart should burn when that happens. Maybe you know that feeling. Then you come to the table of the Lord, and the Lord meets you there, and you recognize Jesus in the breaking of the the bread. Is that not an inspiring look at what happens in a Sunday assembly? I love this stuff. But there's a third way that we need to open our eyes. And it's to this reality. We need to open our eyes to this fact that Jesus is the cause and creator of all life. He is the cause and creator of all life. He is the life giver. Now once again, let's, let's reason together for just a second and think. Can you remember a place in scripture where people ate food and their eyes were open to something? Can you think of a place very early in scripture It's not a positive event. We go and look at Genesis 3 at the story of the fall where Adam and Eve fall into sin. God's good creation. God has created a a wonderful creation. He said over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good. But something happens that's not good. Also look at Genesis 3, 6 and 7. So when the woman, this is Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and there was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Striking similarities in these stories. Two people. If we go with N.T. Wright, you've got a husband and a wife in both stories. Adam and Eve's eyes are open to a new reality. A new reality for humanity. Reality of death. Think about what death does. Early Christian thinkers said death leads to sin because death leads to selfishness. Death leads us 
to be, in, to, to be curved inward to ourselves. We have to hoard things. We have to hold on to things because of fear of death. And it makes us selfish. And selfishness leads to all kinds of sin. So death and selfishness. But this Emmaus paradigm opens up a whole new world. A whole new way of being and existing. These two travelers' eyes are open to life and to love. You see, the curse is being overturned. All through scripture we're seeing this beautiful story of the curse being reversed. The two on the road to Emmaus are open to the love and the life of Jesus. And this gets to what I think the purpose of the church is all about. As we contemplate this story, and we think about our purpose, what is the purpose for Landmark Church? It gets back to to another question I've asked is, why did Jesus disappear? You ever wondered that? What's that all about? Why, Why would Jesus disappear at the very moment that they knew who he was, why would he do this? Maybe there's something deeper going on here. I want you to think just a few days after this, about 40 days later, Jesus will ascend back to the right hand of the Father. You know, he tells his followers in John's Gospel, it's better if I go back to the Father. If I go back to the Father, I will send the Spirit to you. In other words, Jesus will no longer have this localized presence on earth. He won't just be in Nazareth or, or Jerusalem. But through the Spirit, He can be with us at every time and in all places. Christ can be present through the Spirit. Now, how would the early church understood this vanishing Jesus thing? Well, let me just propose this to you. The Bible says we are the body of Christ. It doesn't give caveats. It just says it. We, the church, we are the body of Christ. Remember, Saul is going to persecute people. He's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says to, to Saul, 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 why do you persecute my church? Is that what he says? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, the church is the body of Christ. So, so maybe we, we start transforming how we look at our assemblies and times together. On the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, The first day of the original creation, the first day of the new creation, because Christ came forth from the grave and the world will never be the same again. We come together. Our hearts burn because of a Christ-centered approach to teaching of Scripture. We come to the table, we recognize Jesus. I kind of see the Lord's table as something like this. You may remember, back in the Exodus story, the spies go into the land, they get some fruit from the land, from the promised land, The Israelites are still outside the promised land waiting to go in, but they bring the fruit out of the land and they eat the fruit of the land outside the land. Maybe the Lord's Supper is something like this. We're getting a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb right now. That's awesome when you think about it. But the key to all of this, what this is all about, if we hear anything today, it's this. To truly know Jesus... To truly know him, it's to know his self-sacrificial, self-giving love. That's how you know Jesus. That's what the cross reveals. The cross of Jesus Christ, to me, this is just what I think. The cross reveals the very heart and identity of who God is. We serve a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who for all eternity has loved with that type of self sacrificial love 
So on the cross, Jesus is broken out, broken open, and and spills that love out to us. And so every Lord's Day, we come together and we're, we're reminded of who we are. Our hearts burn as we hear the preaching of the word. We're being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We take the Lord's Supper, we take that into us, and we're being transformed more and more by the love of Jesus being poured out in our heart. You know what? We can't stay here as much as I love church. I've got to reconnect with some of you folks I haven't seen in a long time. As much as I love being with you, as much as I love singing with Hinton and the praise team, as wonderful as this is, we can't stay here. We must be sent out to be the body of Christ and pour that love of Jesus into this community. So Landmark Church, here is your charge to go and do good in the power of Jesus Christ. Is that risky? Let me ask you, is that risky to do? Is it risky to pour your heart out and involve yourself in, in messy situations and love people that, that are enmeshed in a life of sin? Is, is that difficult? Is it easy? It's not been for me. But we can risk that. And why can we risk that? Because we have eternal life. It's not just this life. I don't have to hoard things. I don't have to hold on this life so hard can love like Jesus. So today, we have an invitation song, and it's an opportunity for people. May I have some people here that are struggling in life. You've got some things against you where you need supernatural help. Well, I'll tell you right now, there'll be some shepherds up here in a minute. They would love to receive you. This church family would love to pray over you and bring Christ's blessings to you. We have people here that have not given their life to Jesus Christ, you have not experienced this life we've been talking about. And you want that today, you can respond to the gospel call of Jesus Christ. You can be immersed into him and raised to new life, to God's glory. If we can help in any way, please come as we sing this song.